Come, linger, and join the conversation as we sit at the feet of Rabbi Jesus in the Upper Room. In this week's Upper Room Conversation, the guys discuss why they call this podcast The Upper Room. Welcome to The Upper Room. This is Brian. I'm here with Giles, and we're going to spend some time today talking about how we decided and came upon the name Upper Room for this podcast. So, Giles, I want to start us off with a question. Um, What is it that you think of if I say Old Testament and high places? Well, when I think about the Old Testament and high places, you know, what immediately comes to mind is a place where people would go to meet God. It seemed to be that that would be the process, that they would go up the mountain and then God would meet them there. So if I'm thinking about situations, if we start back with Abraham, um, we can look at the situation where Abraham is going up the mountain with Isaac, and we know that this is for the sacrifice. Um, God has told him to sacrifice his son. So Abraham is going up to the altar, which is on the top of the mountain. And this seemed to be a place where the high places, it seemed to be where they would have altars. And then, you know, we go forward and we see Moses and, you know, Moses is up on the mountain too. And he gets the Ten Commandments and he sees God, God behind that veil. And then, you know, Moses comes down and his face is shining and um, the other people are terrified (laughs) to go up the mountain. But Moses knows that he has to go up that mountain to uh, meet God. And so, you know, in the Old Testament, we call these the high places, and it was the place where people would go to meet God. Yeah, what a great, some great illustrations, and I love, too, that we are going, you know, straight to Scripture for these um, references and these things, and and absolutely, um, time after time, um, Moses was, I, Moses is the one probably that comes to mind to me, is that he would withdraw, he would go to the mountain, and then, you know, even as we transition from Old Testament to New Testament, we have even a number of references with Jesus um, as, um, when he withdrew, going to the high places, going up on the mountain, going up on the hill in order to meet, retreat and meet with God. Absolutely. We see multiple times in the New Testament where Jesus is withdrawing to the mountain to pray. And, you know, he would start his morning. It said early in the morning, and Jesus would head up the mountain, and he would spend this time in communion with God. We see him as he says, there's nothing that I do that is outside the will of the Father. And so we know that Jesus is communicating with God on that mountaintop. And it's not that he doesn't communicate at other points, but this is the time that he goes with solitude. So we start to get this reference point also that going up the mountain is also a solitude aspect as well. So this solitude aspect of praying up on the mountain. And so Jesus throughout the New Testament we see him returning back to the mountain to spend time with God. Yeah, and um think even Sermon on the Mount, Mount of Olives, you know, a lot of these references were in these different high places, but um specifically, you know, we wanted to talk today about how this name uh Upper Room Conversations came to be. And really um it comes out of that scripture in in Mark 14 where we really come to face to face with Jesus in the upper room. If we talk about the upper room, I think we, I'm going to do a quick flashback, if that's okay. Sure, absolutely. You know, because we were talking about the Old Testament before, about going up the mountain to this higher place. Higher place. And so this upper room was also a higher place, right? So in the uh, Old Testament, 
or the Jewish faith, uh, the upper room was a place where we would find Daniel. And that they would use this upper room as also a place for guests or uh, a solitude and quiet. So I believe that the upper room would have been a place that instead of having to go all the way to the mountain, <laughs> you could move up into that place to draw closer to God. Well, and I think even specifically in the scripture in Daniel that you're referring to, Daniel 6, mm-hmm. as he retreats to the, that upstairs room, it was so that he could see Jerusalem. And so that's a really good point that even in that upper room, they're going to meet with God, you're going to be closer to God. And for him, when he faced his eyes towards Jerusalem, that was really what he was trying to model. Yeah, actually, Brian, why don't you read that verse? Because I want to share a little bit about that verse, because there's a whole bunch of stuff going on when Daniel's in that upper room. Daniel 6.10, when Daniel learned that the law had been signed, he went home and he knelt down and prayed as usual in his upper room. With his window open toward Jerusalem, he prayed there three times a day, just as he has always done, giving thanks to his God. Daniel um, is in Babylon, right? So he is an exile in a foreign land. He has been brought there by the king of Babylon. And at this point in Daniel 6, what's actually taken place is that the king has put down an edict because he's been convinced by some of these other individuals who actually are envious of Daniel because of the favor that the king is showing him, that he puts on an edict that, you know, you can only worship me. And so there's an interesting thing when you say he knelt down and prayed as usual. These individuals knew that Daniel would be going and praying. And so it was almost like a setup because he was such a man of faith and a man of God, and he would go to that upper room. And so they were just waiting for the opportunity, saying, we know that he goes, as usual, to pray in this upper room. And you see here that this actually took place, and this is actually when Daniel gets in trouble and gets put into the lion den because of his faithfulness of spending time with God in the upper room. Sure, and um, those those gentlemen, those guys would have known. They've, they would have seen him there. Um, and what a great example, too, that it wasn't just a one-time thing. Right. And I think as we move and we transition um, to some of these other conversations about the upper room, we, I think that that becomes critical. Though they may appear as one-offs in the New Testament, it really is relatively um, easy to conclude that this is probably something that's common within the Jewish faith or with, within, within that culture of, of the time. I know that even when I read scripture, sometimes I see these stories as, you know, this uh, sometimes as if they are one-offs. But I, you know, I think we have to realize that scripture is speaking to us, not just as the one-offs, but actually as an illustration and a method of how to live and how to live in God's kingdom in the way that God desires us to live. And so this upper room concept was already a tradition of God's people of a place to go and meet God. And so then as we transition into the time of Jesus, Jesus as a Jew who would have been following all of the traditions and rules and would have been living out his life as a rabbi, he knew about the upper room. His disciples would have known about the upper room. It was such a culturally big thing. And so this is not a one-off. This was an actual tradition, an actual practice And we won't really get into it much today, but in actuality, the early church 
was known to be in the upper room. Sure, absolutely. Absolutely. And much of it centers around the scripture in Mark that we had referenced earlier. And let's just go back to it and let's read it. Um, Where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover meal with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that's already set up. Right. And Brian, you were sharing with me some of this. And so I, I want you to sort of guide us through what are some of the key things that we're hearing in this verse about an upper room? So I, I think people want to know, like, what makes an upper room significant? Well, and I think as we think specifically about this podcast and connect it to what we're trying to do and what we're trying to accomplish is we really want to be a place where people can gather, much like they gathered in the upper room, mm. um, in the upper room, at the, in this specific example, you know, this guest room where a large number of people can gather and be together. Okay, yeah, so that's, I, I love that. So it was a place where they gathered. That's right, that's right. People can be together. And, and you know, something too, um, I, I think that it's it seems relatively apparent as we put all these scriptures together, and we'll reference a couple more in Acts here in a minute, but um, that guests might be staying in these rooms for extended periods of time, that we know that a lot of the festivals, they weren't like one night. Also, we know that families traveled long distances by foot in this time, and they would need a place to stay for a week, two weeks, maybe a month, because you wouldn't just, you know, you wouldn't walk all that way to be with family for a, a festival and then just turn around and go back the next day, like the luxury that we have now with cars and such. If we think about sometimes how we have our guest rooms in modern culture, right? I mean, we have like a pull-out couch. Everybody knows how uncomfortable those are. It's almost like when you have a person into your house, you desire them to leave. So you're almost setting it up as, I'm going to make this guest room as uncomfortable as possible. So it's basically an office. 99% of the time, if somebody comes here, there's a blow-up mattress or a pull-out couch. But what we are seeing with this upper room concept and with the hospitality culture that would have been in the Middle East, they had an expectation that people or family would be coming and staying for long periods of time. So the upper room was actually set up and made up as a room that was left open for these purposes. So it wasn't a multi, you know, you weren't doing other things in that room. It was actually a room set aside built onto a house for, yes, those times of solitude for the individuals that lived within the house, but really to host guests. Absolutely. Um, it's just a great, great picture that we see. Um, I think sometimes I take for granted maybe that that this was a, just a single house or location that Jesus had picked out, but in fact, it seems as if this is more common. And And tell me this, would this have been something that was just isolated to the rich and the wealthy of the time, or would this have been just basically anybody try to have some sort of space like this for guests, travelers, and family? Well, from, you know, history says that even the poor in that culture were expected to have an upper room. And you're really bringing up another interesting point as you sort of talked about Jesus. Jesus states that he did not have a place to lay his head. Jesus would have been depending on upper rooms to do his ministry. So this would have been a very large part of his ministry as he was traveling around as a rabbi was the hospitality of others who would have been offering this upper room to Jesus and his disciples. Now think about that. So this is a common 
practice that he was going up there on a common occasion because he himself didn't even have a house. And so that puts us now into this place to meet God. This place of hospitality was also a place that many nights Jesus would have been laying his head down in these upper rooms. Yeah, very much so. We also gather from the scripture in Mark that that meals were probably very common to be eaten um, around this comfortable, uh, furnished, set-aside room that you described earlier. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, this place to share a meal. And you sort of hit on the point that, you know, as people would be traveling, even for the special festivals or the different religious holidays, there would have been sharing a meal was such a large part of community life. And there would be a place in a house, most likely for a family to share a meal in the normal day-to-day. But this upper room was also a place where they could host a larger group of people to be able to share a meal. And so we see this throughout Scripture. We'll get to some of these, but we see this even when Jesus went up to the, um, told his disciples to go ahead and to find a room so that they could share the Passover supper, the Passover feast. In that person's house. Absolutely. You know, and I think, too, as we connect all of the Gospels and we turn to John 13, which is the same story in the upper room told again, we also find out that the upper room for Jesus was a place for him to model serving. And I think even as you tell that, even as you described going into somebody's house and having them take care of you for this Passover meal, there was this element of service that was taking place as well that was centered around this upper room concept. It is such a great example that Jesus does in washing the disciples' feet. Absolutely. Right? Because part of the culture was if you had a visitor, the hospitality was to wash their feet. Now Jesus sort of flips that on his head that on its head because he is king and he's mm-hmm. King Jesus. Um, and he is in a higher position as a rabbi, so there would have been an expectation that individuals would have washed his feet. And then he puts himself into that role of service as an example to his disciples if they had ha- if any of them had had lofty thoughts, which we had seen multiple times before. Jesus, am I going to sit on your right? And, you know, and they're saying these things. So he's really showing them, no, you're going to be second, and you're going to put yourself below other people. Basically, as low as the lowest servant in this house would have been, that when we arrived here at this upper room, that servant would have been sent out to wash feet. But I'm now washing feet to show you this is the hospitality as Christ followers that you will be pursuing. And the servanthood that I expect is that the greater will become the lesser. And that's a that role of service is such a big part of the upper upper room because of the hospitality, but then Jesus showing how we can take that and go forward with yeah, it. Yeah, even one step further. Yeah. One step further than just serving someone a meal. I also think too, continuing on in Mark, going back to the Mark, as we continue on go through, Jesus breaks bread, he gives him the glass of wine, he talks about this is my body, this is my blood shed for you. And then in Mark in 14, 26, he says, then they sang a hymn. Mm -hmm. So I can go to this upper room, 
I can be closer to God, and then I can actually spend some time in worship knowing that I'm I'm physically modeled being a little bit closer to Him as I do so. Right, and you know, starting with the Eucharist and starting with Jesus breaking that bread, serving it, and which is the model as Christ followers of a of the communion, yeah. and then moving, which means communion, right? Coming together, and so it's meeting God in that place. So it's hitting the thing about meeting God in that place. It's also the sharing a meal. It's also gathering together. And you start seeing upper room. You start seeing all these things tie together. And then it says they sang a hymn. Just like you said, interesting that they bring worship now into what the... And we're not talking about that private individual worship. We're talking about corporate worship together where a whole body of people now is worshiping God in a high place in the upper room. It's a beautiful, beautiful picture. And I want to go one step further because I know that when people picture the upper room, they picture the Last Supper, and they picture the painting. But the painting of them sitting around the table is not at all what it might have looked like. It was probably more like pillows on the floor, a really low table that you that was in the center of the room, or, or maybe even the bowls of food being on the floor that you picked out. You had a bowl yourself or your hands. And... I picture, I see it more as, and I think a more accurate description would be, they're actually lounging around on pillows, they're laid back and and they're comfortable, and this term of this uh, image that we've talked about so much here in our home is they were sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. They were sitting at the feet and they were listening to the rabbi teach, teach them what communion was all about, teach them what service was about tell them parables. They were used to this kind of interaction with Jesus. That's how we have our podcast studio set up. Absolutely. <laughs> we have that reclining table. No, uh, it would be hard to speak into a microphone if we were laying down on the floor, but if Brian and I had our way, that's I, maybe that is how we're going to model this upper room. But yes, this was something, again, when we look back and know that Jesus would have been in these upper rooms many times throughout his ministry, even just a place to stay in the evening, you know with the intensity of his ministry and what he was desiring for the disciples to glean about who God is through him, that these conversations would have been happening over and over and over again in the upper room. And times that he had gone out maybe and given a sermon or he had told a parable, you see him come back and say, let me explain these things to you. Those conversations were probably happening a lot of times in an upper room. So that's sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus. That's a beautiful illustration, Brian. And we, and that's what they would have been doing. They would have been sitting at his feet in that upper room. We know the Mary and Martha story. It's very likely that they were in an upper room and she was sitting at his feet and Jesus said, Hey, who's doing the greater, right? So, there, if we start tracing this through, it's just a incredible um, place to meet God. Absolutely, and I want to see. Um, I want to see that. I want to see that um, in my life. I want to see that model. In, in and I don't think I, I want to clarify too, because I don't necessarily when I say that I don't necessarily mean that I want people sitting at my feet. No, 
I want to be reclined at the at the table. I want to be reclined in the upper room. I want to be spending time with Jesus, and I want as many people crammed into that room as I can possibly get to learn from him. The truth of this situation is we call this podcast the upper room, but we're actually in the lowest room in the house because we live in a one-story house. So what would the upper room be? But the philosophy of the upper room is what is dictating our lives. And so we're wanting to share that with you guys because it is, it is a posture that you can put yourself in. You can imagine. You can be in that upper room with God. And that is exactly what Jesus was showing, trying to model and show his disciples. And we see that they sort of move forward with that don't we? And if we move on in the in the scriptures, we do. We move on to the book of Acts, which is the next place. Well, it's 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 not just the next place; it is really the next events, the events following the crucifixion and the resurrection. And we move into Acts chapter one, uh, chapter one, and verse three says, "During the forty days after he suffered and died, he appeared to the apostles from time to time." He proved to them in many ways that he was actually alive, and he talked to them about the kingdom of God. So we're here we have sitting at the feet even after he's died. And once he was even eating with them. And so we go on, we're painting this picture, and at this point in Acts, we really don't have any idea of where they are. But if you fast forward down to verse 13, it says, When they arrived, they went to the upstairs room of the house where they were staying. It's really easy to make now a connection that in this time following, they had continued to stay in this upstairs room of this man's house for a good month or so. Yes, which points back to your statement you were making earlier that this wasn't just like an overnight stay a lot of times. This was a long, longer stay and that it was an expectation of the hospitality. Um, But this is the place where these apostles, these disciples were. And... You said once he was eating with them, and I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this too. Jesus is in a resurrected body at this point. So what's the need for food? So what's the need for food? Unless it is also, again, a method of that gathering, a method of the intimacy of communion with people, because you, these things are mentioned, and we see Jesus eating with the disciples also at other points, in John, at the end of John, we see him eating fish, a breakfast with them. And so we see him also eating at other times after his resurrection. And it and it's, again, these sitting at the feet of Rabbi Jesus, these conversations, this intimacy, and the sharing of a meal. And if you think about it for a second, too, perhaps he didn't need to do that, but perhaps it was more for our benefit exactly. than his, that he wanted to set the mood, set the tone, and let people know, this is still me. This is still me. I may have a new body. I may be moving in and out of time and space in a different way that you're not used to, but it's still me, the same Jesus that was with you for the past three years. I wonder what Thomas, you know, did he say, hey, put your hands in my side, but then make sure to go wash them because we're about to eat a meal. <laughs> yeah, right. Go wash your hands. <laughs> go wash your hands. <laughs> and... uh but also to so so we went through this list right place to gather, uh, guests are staying there for quite a bit of time and then we go to Acts chapter one, keep on going verse fourteen, they were all together and were constantly united in prayer. So during these forty days, 
there was more going on in the early church that Jesus that Jesus had started and left behind and then now entered back into and they were constantly praying at this point as well remember the holy spirit has been breathed upon them and pentecost itself had taken place in an upper room or upper rooms um so this united in prayer this concept now being united in the holy spirit and praying we're sort of seeing this adding in to again moving away from any kind of individualistic aspect that the Jewish faith would have had about meeting God in those places to now this corporate philosophy of worship, of gathering in prayer, of common meals, of serving each other. And these are all taking place in this upper room. It's outstanding. And it's just this beautiful picture and continue to tie it back to, even though we're just in episode three of this podcast and really episode one because the only is our the only other ones are our stories our desire our desire is that we would be sitting here and that we would be inviting people on this journey with us and on this ride with us and that we would be all of these things as you listen we want you to know you have a seat at this table as you pray we want you to know you have a seat at this table and you have a voice and there are other people out there that desire this kind of intimate and close relationship with Jesus that we're seeing here. For transparency purposes, when we started thinking about doing this podcast, one of the things that we wanted to make certain that we did was glorify God. And even as we sit here, we save a space for the spirit. We start with prayer. We share out of scripture. Our conversations are guided by God's truth. And we pray for his wisdom as we share with all of you. And so as Brian said, this is what we're wanting to invite you into. It's not inviting you into a relationship just with us through this process. This is inviting you into a deeper more abiding relationship with Jesus, meeting him in that upper room. Well, and even this even this conversation stemmed out of those conversations that do naturally take part of in our day in our daily walk here. We have a discipleship group in the morning and something is revealed to us. We wake up at two o'clock in the morning and something is revealed to us. We come together where you may be reading in Matthew and I'm reading in Mark and God just completely confirms and connects those two things for us in the same way, gives us even similar words. And we found ourselves in the last few weeks saying, oh, we got to write this down. We got to, we got to, we have got to get this recorded because whether it be for someone else that might be listening or whether it just be stones of remembrance for us, I don't want to forget this. I don't want to forget what God did on this day in December of 2020 or on this morning in January of 2021. Correct. And, yeah, it's just, it, it makes my heart come alive knowing that God is giving us the opportunity to do this. Um, you know, going a bit back to the upper room, 
there's a really great scripture story in scripture, right, Ryan, about the upper room that talks about what can happen uh, in community. <laughs> Giles, we can't we can't finish this podcast without talking about Acts chapter twenty. I'm so glad that God brought it to your mind as we were preparing and getting this ready, because absolutely, who can forget when Paul is preaching and when Paul is preaching and it is apparently in an upper room. We don't know this until we find out that Eutychus has fallen from the third floor window and fallen asleep with Paul's teaching. So maybe Paul was going on a little bit long. Um, Eutychus maybe was so overcome by the spirit that he lost his balance. But what we see happen in that situation is he goes down, right? And he says, oh, he's fine. And then he goes back up and they continue to pray and preach and share time with each other in the upper room. And Brian, you had some great things to say about this, just imagining this scenario in your head. Well, one of the things that I think you'll probably come to be aware of if you spend any time here at Eremos hanging out with us or any time here on the podcast is there's definitely one of the two of us that's maybe a little bit more long-winded. And should any of you fall asleep at the wheel driving or fall out of a third-story window, I would place my wager that it would be that my partner Giles was the one talking. Well, I'm not going to deny uh, that I don't see it on the fruits fruits of the Spirit, but long-windedness can be one of my greatest <laughs> gifts. So, uh, But, you know, you think about this situation and you think about them just going back and praying and spending that time in God with God. This, these are the kind of expectations, even miraculous things that would happen in these situations that they grew to expect in the upper room. Healings took place in the upper room. You know, uh, their Eutychus falls, but the, Paul just goes down there. They're back at it. It's like it's no big deal. Right. Oh, he's fine. Let's go eat. Right. <laughs> so it's just we really wanted to share today what, why we decided to call this the upper room. All right, Giles, we've talked about this link between the Old Testament high places and this New Testament upper room and what that looks like. How is it that we hope to bring this message, not just from Old Testament to New Testament, but actually into our own home and into the homes of people that are listening? Well, the first thing I wanted to say about that is that when we looked at the Old Testament and then when we look at the New Testament and we see what the upper room is, we are seeing these physical places. And, you know, we may be in a situation here where we're able to do some of those physical aspects of what an upper room is, but... Often in our day, we find ourselves either in our work environment or we find ourselves out somewhere else. And it's not just a place where like, well, the upper room is not here. But the reality is, is that the upper room is in us, that God has given that as a gift, that it's a, the philosophy of living in that kind of serving, gathering, 
hospitality, praying, worshiping, communion, communing with God in the day-by-day moment of your life. And so the upper room is just not that physical space that we may imagine in ancient Israel or we may even imagine in our own physical houses. The upper room is a spiritual place that we can go to meet God. What a great picture. And how do we do that? How do we, what are some practical things that we can challenge our listeners with on what that looks like? How does that, what does that look like for you? And what does that look like for me and some of the others that maybe have mentored us and discipled us? Well, we live in central Indiana. So the first problem I have is, is that I can't go up into the mountain and pray. So I've had to figure out where is this upper room or where is this high place that I need to go to. And I do that by starting with Scripture in the morning, going to the Word of God. So like Jesus went to God, I'm going to God and I'm asking Him the same kind of questions. What is your will for me for today? How am I supposed to be walking out and doing these things? And it really starts with that early morning practice of scripture, I also journal, and the practice of that is for remembrance because we see throughout scripture this concept of remembering these things. And so journaling helps me remember what God has done and it also helps me to move myself in prayer to what God is desiring for me in that moment, in that day. So high places can be a time of day and I think, too, even what I'm hearing you say is a routine location. Um, my wife comes to mind that she does her work in that recliner in that main room. And and I know that when she's there and she's got her Bible unfolded in front of her, that she's doing work. She's not. She, she is meeting and communing with God in that place. And that's. I think it's actually important that we have that set-aside place, uninterrupted, Set aside, set aside for specific purposes, holy, that's all, holiness, set apart, a holy place, whether it be at the kitchen table, whether it be in a room, at an office, at a desk. I know for me, it helps to separate uh, work and play and that high place. Uh, and so it's good to have a, it's good to have a physical location. It's good to have a time of day routine for those high places. If we're going to follow in the model that Christ gave us, that Jesus gave us, is he did have those routines. And he went to that upper place or the routines during the other times when he was going to the upper room. And you're exactly right. The time, choosing a time, that you say, I'm going to spend with God is a time that you're choosing to spend in the upper room. Choosing a place that you say, I'm going to spend time in this place with God is choosing an upper room. Choosing a posture. We didn't talk really about posture, but choosing a posture of, I'm going to choose a posture of sitting at his feet. That means humbling myself and allowing him to speak to me as I listen. So, you know, the upper room is also a place for silence because we can't listen very well if we're not silent. And so I think that 
you know, for our listeners, the practice of the upper room can begin as soon as tomorrow morning, can begin tonight. You can go and say, I'm going to set aside a time, a place, a posture to meet with God. What a great way to wrap it up. I can't think of any way to put a bow on this. Why did we choose the upper room than that? Thanks so much for everything that you said. Thanks for being on this journey with me. Thanks for this incredible conversation.